my wife and I are very happy to be here to sit under the very profitable and warm ministry of our brethren. It's good to see a lot of faces that we haven't seen for a while. My topic today is steadfast love. Steadfast love of God. It may raise a question just um, which side of the corner you're dealing with. There's two sides to that one. I'm thinking of the Godward side, the steadfast love of God to you and I. Lord willing, tomorrow I would like to look at the other side of that coin, and I would call that reflected grace for reasons that would be more apparent maybe tomorrow. So would you please turn to a a verse or two in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We'll read verse 6 and 7. Uh, by the way, the, these verses are a, a very great surprise to see here. Now, I don't know, have you heard of the, uh, the ten plagues of Israel? Ten plagues of uh, Egypt? Yeah, you've heard about the ten plagues of Egypt, haven't you, Sam? But you haven't heard about the ten plagues of Israel. This is the chapter where they should be. But they're not. You know, they have the context here is the the golden calf. Israel has forsaken God already. They've scarcely begun their journey. This is where the ten plagues should have been, but instead we find a verse like this. Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and so on. There's a lot that could be said, of course, about this passage and even these verses, but I have to narrow down my thoughts very sharply here just to these words that I want to pick up. I think I need to tell you a story first to help us. I don't think you'll know the name Tina Mercer. She was 41. She had five children. Just last month, not far from Dallas, Texas, she looked back at her house, which was in flames, and she dialed 911, And she ran in and picked up her baby and came back out. She looked back at the house that was further engulfed in flames, and she knew that her mother, Linda, was in that house, and Linda is disabled. And so she ran in back into the smoke to rescue her mother, Linda, and I wish I could tell you that it had a happy ending. So you got to ask, uh, was that goodness? Was that, uh, was that mercy? You know, we read of both of those in this verse here. 
abundant in goodness and keeping mercy. It's interesting to me that these are both, this is the same word. We're reading here about goodness and mercy. Which, which is it? Or what is it? Is there a word to describe something that that story spoke of? Somebody running back in, would you say, well, that's, that's that was good of them. Yeah, that sounds kind of cheap, doesn't it? Would you say, well, that's just mercy, that's just compassion? Well, I'm certain that it was. Is, is there some word that would describe this somewhat better? That woman going into that house like that? Well, we, we do have a word in our Bible. We've read it here. It speaks here of the one who is abundant in goodness and keeping mercy. And that is, that is the word hesed there. And uh, don't worry about that word. For all of you who can speak Hebrew, I mispronounced it on purpose. And for the rest of us who would like to pronounce it, if you can, um, if you can um, make a funny coughing noise and say that word hesed, you'll have it probably just about right. But this word in this verse here has to do with the steadfast love of God, an unfailing love, a loyal love. And Mr. Vine tells us about this uh, word, this goodness, this compassion, this, what some Bible say here in this chapter, steadfast love. He says that this is one of the most important words in Old Testament doctrine. In fact, he says it's one of God's most central characteristics, the fact that he is characterized by goodness or mercy in the King James, it's the same word, or by what the ESV and other Bibles would call steadfast love. Why did she go back into that fire? Just, just because it was an act of goodness? It was loyal love, steadfast love. It was a love that will not let me go. Bill Mounts, the scholar, Greek scholar, who sends out that delightful little paper, Mondays with Mounts. You, do you get it? Anyway, he, um, it's a discussion of language and translation and so on. He says that it's one of the richest, most insightful terms in the Old Testament. This idea of love that will not let me go, or of steadfast love. I can tell you one thing. My mother didn't care about Hesed or a steadfast love, or any of these terminology, I can tell you my mother didn't care too much about that, and I, she didn't know any of those words, but I can assure you, she understood the concept. Steadfast love. This young boy, Doug, I was, I was Dougie, because when you're young enough, you get, I'm not going to let him get away with anything. And when I would be on my mother's knee upside down and she would be administering wisdom to me, <laughs> um, she would say sometimes, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, she didn't say it exactly this way, I'm inflicting this pain on you because I love you. And I thought, okay, I can get that. You know, my mother right now is mad, and when you're mad, you can say really dumb things. <laughs> I wasn't laughing. Well, my mother had the concept. 
she was willing to inflict some pain on me because she was not willing to let me go. That was the kind of love that drove Tina into the fire that day. That is the kind of love that he's talking about here as he speaks about not just steadfast love. My brother, I would love to speak another time and tell you about the abundance of it. Abundant, loyal, steadfast love. Well, you say you're making a lot of words and words don't matter too much. Well, it sounds like my mom and dad talking. Well, maybe words don't matter. Let's, let's go to a wedding. Don't be afraid. It's not you. It's not me. Let's learn at a wedding here. So, you and I, we get right up to the front. There's a wedding going on. It's not a real one now, okay, so don't be afraid. But we get up there, and uh, I, I rush in, and we rush in to see what's going on. There's somebody talking to the preacher up at the front, and, uh, well, this is a wedding like we've never been to before. You and I, we get up there, and we're... And this lady, she's upset. She's really upset. Um... The man has just finished saying, I take you to be my, and this lady, we're glad we sat at the front row so we can hear everything. She's kind of stamping her foot. She's a little upset. Uh, he's just promised, uh, he said he just, pro just promised to show goodness. You, you're, you promised to show goodness to me. Well, what do you think I am? Remember, we were walking around the park the other day, and... Uh, you were talking about how you were so good to your dog. And you fed it and so on. Now this poor man up the front, he's... He tries again. He said, uh, well, he says, I promise to show you mercy. I promise to show you compassion. And this woman, she's not happy at this wedding that you and I have gone to. What do you mean you're showing me compassion and, 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 and mercy? Um, do you remember we were walking down the street the other day and we gave that leftover pizza to that guy living in the cardboard box and you said to me, I'm showing him compassion and mercy. This poor woman, she doesn't want, she was, doesn't want goodness. She doesn't want some mercy. Maybe she wants love. And the poor fellow standing up there at the front, and you and I were listening in. He says, I promise to love you. And she's still not happy about this. What's going on here? Well, she says to him, she says, well, lots of our friends, they live together. And they have, they love each other. There's something missing here, isn't there? You've gone to a wedding like this before? Probably, probably not. You know what's missing in this wedding? You and I are sitting there right up front and we're listening to all this talk going on and we're not sure where it's going to go. We thought they should have taken a little bit more marriage counseling classes, but we're, you know what's missing in this wedding is a pen. Just a pen. Ladies, sorry to tell you, this is only $1.29 and there's two of them in the pack so you could actually give one away and somebody could have a free wedding. This is $1.29 and that's what's missing in this little talk and thing that's going on at the front. You say pens can't talk, but they can write. You know what's missing in this wedding is it's not, it's not so much the goodness, the mercy, and the love, but there's, what's missing is commitment. And the, and the lady, actually, to be true now, she's not looking for the pen. She's looking for the words that express that. Um, 
It may say something like this. You don't need to say this in Ontario to be married legally, but we usually put this in the uh, little talk. For richer or for poorer, you ever heard that? And uh, in sickness or in health, for better or for worse. And that is the language of steadfast love, commitment. It's expressing, uh, I'm going to go all the way. Not, not just with mercy and, and graciousness and, and, and not with just goodness and not with just with love. But it's expressing that I'm going all the way. There's a commitment. And of course, what happens after the man says those words and makes that dear woman happy finally then they disappear into that other room, as they sometimes do in weddings, and they sign something on a piece of paper. There's commitment. This word, chesed, or steadfast love, loyal love, it's used in the New Testament from time to time about God's relationship to his people. He speaks of himself as being married to his people. And that's the kind of commitment that our God has to us. What I want to do at this point is just to take some examples from the life of our Lord Jesus, three if I have time. Three examples in the New Testament where this kind of steadfast love meets us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I find it interesting that in the prophets that that word hesed or steadfast love is used once to describe the ministry of the Lord Jesus. I want to refer to three things. The uh, steadfast love of Christ will find us in his hands, Matthew 12. It will find us on his shoulders, how lovely that is, Luke 15. And it will find us in his heart, Luke 24. I don't know if we'll discuss all three. But I want to refer just for a moment now to to Matthew chapter 12, where we read there. Jesus says, He said to them, What man among you who has one sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? You know, I had had a sheep uh, call me on the phone just last week. And this uh, dear brother was in a pit. It wasn't a literal sheep. I could tell by his shaky voice that he was uh, at the bottom of something, looking up. He didn't think he was in a pit necessarily, but it wasn't uh, long before we understood that he was there. Doug, he said, I'm fed up. In fact, I'm done. He says, the doctor said 50-50. They looked at my throat, 50-50. I said, well, you know, is the cup half full or half empty? It's 50-50. I'm done. That's it. Well, he was uh, looking around the house for some pills. He was going to be done with life. He thought if he took them all at once, then... Well, well, he uh, he needed some coffee and some compassion. And he needed some conversation. And he sat on my couch for a few hours till he begged to be allowed to go home because he thought he'd sleep better in his own bed. 
Maybe some of you have been there. Ever been fed up? Maybe it wasn't 50-50. Maybe it was something worse. (laughs) Or maybe something not so bad. But you know, we can find ourselves in a place just like that, in a pit. You ever been in a pit? Why, not a literal one. Have you ever been in a place where you've just got nowhere to go except in circles? Hey, what do you do in a pit? You go in circles. Where do you end up? Right where you started. No progress. What are you doing? You're looking up. What's up there? Bottom. Well, it's under your feet, but that's where people are walking up there, and you're way down here. Paul Yancey wrote a book. It's called Disappointment. Is Disappointment with God. Is God there? Can God be trusted? Why does God seem so distant? Those kinds of questions. I thought it was interesting. One young man on Amazon under the comments, he said, uh, it's a good book, he says. When I was 19, I gave it to all kinds of people. When I was 19. I understand. He says, now that I'm 42, I'm reading it. I find myself disappointed. Actually, disappointed is too gracious a word. I'm jaded. I'm cynical. I'm sad. I'm tired. I'm mostly waiting for this time of my life, this period of my life to be done and for things to get back to normal with God. What I love about this little chapter, this verse, Jesus says, There's a man, is there? He's got a sheep in a pit, and what happens? He says he lays hold of it and lifts it out. (laughs) I've enjoyed that experience. You ever been laid hold of by God and lifted? You know why he did that? God does that, intervenes in our lives because he loves us with steadfast love, and he refuses to let us go. He's committed himself to us. And he's even done it with the pen because he wrote it down in Exodus 34 and we read it. Maybe you're 19 and you're giving the book to others still. That's okay. I can tell you there's a time coming where you're going to read it yourself. Maybe not that book, but this truth you will certainly drink in. And I know even teenagers and young folk, they can get into cycles of depression and problems and get away at university and get away at school and things aren't quite the same. And out of that comfortable little place where they were living before and dependent on others and mom's not too far away and so on and and, uh, even young folk can find themselves going in circles in a pit. And you know that. I'll just list seven pits that people find themselves in. The prison of health. A a prison or a pit of the mind. Mental issues. Depression. There are prisons or pits that are related to family. You can't get away from your family. Did you know that? And you can't get away from your personal history. And some of you have personal histories that you've probably never told to anybody, including your spouse. 
And you may have some real pains that many of us could not understand. There is the pit of personality. You ever try to, you ever look at the mirror and see if you can get away from that same person the next morning? There's the pit of, in prison of, of marriage. I hope it's not that way with you. But it can be. And the prison or the pit even of bereavement. How do you escape that one? How do you get away? But you know what you can experience? In these cases, thank God, there is one who has committed himself to us. And there's three things that go along with this word hesed. The idea idea of love, and it doesn't have to be romantic or fuzzy-wuzzy or emotional. It doesn't have to be. There is a love, and there is a commitment, and there is a strength to see it through. The word is untranslatable. Can you imagine trying to put all those in, in, a, in that hymn that we sang before lunch? For his mercy endures forever and ever. A beautiful song. Imagine if you... That word mercy there is this word here, steadfast love. Imagine if you tried to fit all those things in there. Love, steadfast love, love that goes the distance. And it's, it's, a, it's a love that has strength behind it to see it through. And it's a love that's completely committed. Then, you know, that, that would make for bad poetry. If you, you can't put all that in it. But you and I can experience that kind of love. Even when we are in a pit. And we feel the hand of Christ laying hold of us and lifting us. Thank God for this kind of love that we meet in the person of the Lord Jesus. I want to think of of Luke chapter 15 for a moment where he tells us there. So there's a man, he leaves the 99 in the wilderness and he goes after that one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. I love that. And rejoicing, he comes home. I would have put the thing on a leash. Come on, boy. Come on. You know, that would have been okay, right? I don't know. I've never seen a sheep on a leash, but they probably make them. But here is one who doesn't say, he's wandered off again. Well, you know, it wasn't assembly material anyway. Nobody ever talks that way. I'm glad. Doesn't say, well, I've got 99, I'm going to stay with them. But here is one, our Lord Jesus, in this story, with steadfast love, loyal love, love that commits itself and has the strength to guarantee everything around it. This is love that's going to go the distance. It says, he goes out until he finds it. And that's, brother, that is why you're here today. There was four fingers pointing at me. Well, yeah. That's why I'm here today. Because I've went out too. I've gone out. And he went out after the one with a committed love. I'm not going to let you go. Maybe some of you have some what we would call wayward children who are believers. My dear brother and sister, he will not let them go. It's going after them too.
Well, you know, he could have picked up the sheep that day and held it in his breast. And I've, I sometimes thought about that. I, I would really love to be that sheep, and I would love to snuggle right in there and listen to his heartbeat. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd, love, I'd love just to settle in there and listen to that heartbeat in love. That would have been okay. In fact, I would have been happy with the leash. Picking me up would be a little bit better, but I tell you, I, I enjoy something about the shoulders. This one who loves us, in this story, puts us on his shoulders. You know, you can see a lot better from up there. You can see, maybe see the thing, see the way things really are. And there's just something about being held near the heart that I like, but there's something about resting on the, the shoulders of God to carry me all the way back to the flock. And that's not what it says, brother. Did you notice that? It doesn't, doesn't say he took him back to the flock. <laughs> I would have been happy on the leash and I would have been happy to go to the flock. That would have been fine by me and I would have praised the Lord all the way and sang, Jesus loves me. But maybe the flock is implied, I don't know, but it doesn't mention it. It says he took him home. Dear sister, he's going with you all the way. Do you understand that? He's going to take you home. He's going all the way. This is not, he's not going to come short here on this one. And your family members that aren't just living how they should right now, he's on their track. He hasn't forgotten them. Don't ever say they went away and the Lord's not going with them where they're going. How could that be true? He has an unfailing love for us. He's never going to let us go. I better go to Well, I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you the results of a survey at this point. We've been having lots of surveys in Canada because there was an election on. I usually had fun talking to them. I always told them I was going to vote for the guy that came last, just to give them some encouragement. Yeah, I wasn't going to vote at all, but, I, but um, we had some fun when they would phone us. And, well, here, there was a survey here. This is a survey. Maybe it's not going to be a great encouragement to the elders of the assembly here which are uh, the, my brethren, full-time preachers, but here's the survey. They asked the people in this church just where they grew the most. Where did you grow the most spiritually and what contributed to it? And much to the preacher's dismay, it was not transformational preaching. It was not being part of a small group. It wasn't reading a theological book. It wasn't the worship experience. What was the key to growth? Loss. Pain, crisis, and suffering. And the author of the report, I won't say his name, I don't think you'd know him, but he says, and now at our church, what we're trying to do is we have a committee now, we're trying to figure out how to create more pain for each, for each person who attends because we'd like to enhance their growth. And I, it's, it is funny, it is funny, but it's not, it's not funny when you're in that pit. And it's not funny when you're the one that's astray and the Lord's looking to bring you back. There are many situations that's not funny. But as we look back, all of us, I'm sure, and my young brothers, young sisters too, difficulties at school and the persecution, 
And some of these things that you enter in at, into at university and the loneliness and in these aspects and places where there is pain. If you haven't already, you're going to look back and realize that that's where you grew the most. You're going to thank God, as we already have for Stark Road Conference. You will. You'll thank God twice and more. But you're going to thank God as well for those times when you felt his hand lifting you and you felt yourself on the shoulders of Christ. You're going to thank God for those times even more so. In Luke chapter 24, it says that, well, there was two of them traveling the same day to a village, Emmaus, and they conversed and they reasoned. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Well, what would you expect? They're walking away from the Lord's house, the Lord's people. They're walking out into the dark. And so the Lord said, well, I've got 118 back in the upper room. I'm okay. Let them go. Not surprised at them anyway. They never were really with it. I know you didn't think that. And I know you've never said that, though you wanted to. But that's not how our Lord works. He has steadfast love. And the Lord left those. Oh, he could have had a good meeting with the other 118 or whatever there was up there. He could have had a good meeting back at the house, but he went, he went down the road to find those two. And so as we meet steadfast love, chesed. I'll, I'll, I'll just try it. hope nobody's listening. Chesed. Uh, he's just smiling. So... But you could try it in your bathroom at home. So, steadfast love. Look at Mr. Vine says it's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. So I, you probably already know it, learned it in Sunday school. But if you don't know it now, then please. The steadfast love. It brings, it brings us to his hands where he lays hold of us. And arrests us in love. It puts us on his shoulders to carry us through. And here it brings us right to his heart. He listens to them spill out their heart. And they tell him everything that they knew, which wasn't very much. Most of which was wrong. And then he pours out his heart to them. That would have been a good meeting to be at. And he he comes into the home where they are and they find out afterwards it was his appointment, the whole thing. It wasn't, it wasn't their stopping place. It was his. They recognize him there. Oh, that's the key, my brother. It was there that he revealed himself to them. That's what we want in this conference. And that's, that's, what, that's what you need. That's what I need. The revelation of Christ to my soul. And when they, they get up and go back the same hour of the night, they go back to Jerusalem and he's there. And he reveals himself again to them. This is what the steadfast love of God does. Let me finish here. It was George Matheson, 1882, he would be 40 years old. 
He wrote a beautiful hymn that you know. He doesn't tell us the story. You know, there are some things that are very private, aren't there? I wouldn't tell you of every occasion when I found myself on his shoulders. I wouldn't expect you to understand or even care to hear it. And George Matheson did not enter into all the details of why he wrote his beautiful hymn. He does say it was a time of loneliness and abandonment and disappointment known only to myself, which caused me the most severe mental suffering. I've been there. Of, of course, uh, being human as you, we always like to guess, so we'll guess. It, it may have been the time of the abandonment of himself by his fiancée. There was some talk of him going blind, and she said, I don't want to marry somebody going blind, and so she left him. That is not loyal love. That's not steadfast love. That's not a love that goes all the way. That's, that's not the kind of love that we were talking about when we were at that little wedding where things were going kind of badly. But he wrote this hymn. He, he understood he understood um, the steadfast love of God. He says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. What a wonderful place to rest. You know, this love of God is a love that goes the distance. It will not let me go. It has the strength to accomplish its purposes. It cannot fail. Somebody has said, I've given God a million reasons to not love me, but none of them have changed his mind. And so what happens? In Exodus 34, it would be lovely just to discuss that passage at more length, but anyway, that's not my purpose now. But Moses is saying, Lord, I want, show me your glory, Lord. I, I want to know you. And uh, that's when the Lord says, I am that one who abounds in steadfast love. And you know what Moses did? It says he bowed his head and worshipped. I'm going to do that right now. Father, we thank you for this love of God that reaches out to bring us back and encourage us and help us in every difficulty of life when we can't see anywhere out of the problem. We worship thee for thy goodness that has or will bring us back. We thank you. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen.